Amen. This morning, uh, we are celebrating, celebrating in many ways, we're celebrating Jesus Christ as we do every Sunday, but we're celebrating Jesus Christ in 2021, which is something that many people are excited about to put the, the year behind us, 2020. Uh, we don't know exactly what 2021 is going to hold. It could be worse than 2020. We don't know that. Uh, that's not your encouragement for this morning. I'm just letting you know that we don't know the future, uh, but regardless of whether it's better or worse than 2020, we know that God is with us and will walk with us through that year. And so we, uh, we put our trust in him this morning. Uh, reflecting on what the Lord was laying on my heart for this week, it, uh, there was a saying that came to mind. And when I was growing up, I used to hear people talk about pillars in the church. I don't know if you've ever heard that expression. So-and-so is a pillar in the church. Or maybe so-and-so is a pillar in the community. And uh, so I don't know if you've heard that or not. But um, basically, in, in the churches that I grew up in, we, I was in pretty small churches. A lot of the times, the pillars were uh, the movers and shakers, the ones who got things done. Uh, there were some who were considered pillars because they had been there a long time. Uh, whether they did anything or not. So I remember one church, there was a charter member who had been there 180 years, and uh, he just sat in the back. I don't think he ever said anything. I don't think he ever did anything, but uh, he was a charter member. I don't know if anybody consider him a pillar or not. But <laughs> nonetheless, sometimes being somewhere a long time makes you one of those pillars, quote unquote. Uh, sometimes it's about who gives the most. There are some churches where one family or two families carry the entire budget for the entire church and they fund all that the church does more or less and uh, so in those situations a lot of the time those people are considered the pillars then there are some churches where it's the people who are actually on the ground doing the work they teach the sunday school classes they run the vbs's they uh, plow the the snow or if you're down south that's not an issue so you do whatever the equivalent of that is um, but you, you vacuum the carpet. They're the ones getting things done day in and day out. So people will say, hey, that guy's a pillar in the church. Now, I don't, I'm not really suggesting we name the pillars this morning of this church, but I'm sure if I were to ask you who are the pillars of College Heights Baptist Church, there would be a few people that would come to mind right now um, that you would say, yeah, yeah, they're the pillar of the church. Then there may be a few of you that says, that's evil. To even call someone a pillar of the church, that's not right. Uh, we shouldn't exalt or elevate one person above another in the church. Okay, I, I get what you're saying there, but I want to quickly uh, read something from the book of Revelation. I don't have this on the screen. Just listen as I read it. And this is Jesus' words to the church of Philadelphia. He reads in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. I am coming soon. Amen. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus tells those who conquer in the church of Philadelphia, 
in Revelation chapter 3, that they are going to be made pillars in the temple of God. Now, here's an interesting thing, though. In the same book, by the same author, we turn over to Revelation chapter 21. And in verse 22, it says this. John is writing down what he sees. He sees in the end of time, a new heaven and new earth coming down. And when he's writing and recording what he witnesses in this new heaven and new earth, he says this, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Now, what in the world does that mean? He's going to make us who conquer pillars in the temple, but there is no temple. Is this a trick? Oh, I think when you read the book of Revelation, you have to understand that you're dealing with highly symbolic literature. This is eschatological. It is a, a, a apocalyptic literature that is just chocked full of things that symbolize other things. And as we look at this, I think we can understand that the early church, when they read this, when they received this revelation from John, they would have understood by then that as the church, they were the temple of God. And so Christ was raising up pillars inside of the already existing temple. And they would be a foundational piece one day in the new heaven and new earth where God is the temple. That is what is being understood and communicated by this passage here. So I want to go and turn to our text this morning, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter Three, because I want to talk about this idea of the church being the temple. I want to talk about this idea of being pillars in the temple. Who are the pillars of the church this morning? And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when you get there, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to read through the word of God, pray, and then you may be seated. Beginning in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul asked the question, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will, be received, or it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the year you've given us. 
Uh, Lord, we thank you for what lies ahead. And Lord, as we look to your word this morning, I pray that you will renew something inside of us, uh, a, a new vision for a new year, a, a new thought process for the days ahead. Lord, I pray that you would continue to stir up in us through the Holy Spirit. Um, convict us, Lord, that we might be more like your son, Jesus Christ. I pray this morning, Lord, that your word would resonate in our minds and souls. And Lord, that you would just make us into the people you want us to be. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, within 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to look at what God is doing here. And uh, we're going to be talking about building. We've talked about the temple. We've talked about pillars. These are all uh, as, uh, aspects of a building project. And this building project that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is just one place among the entire scripture where building is important. In fact, the word build occurs 214 times in the ESV version of the Bible. Uh, Paul references it 10 to 15 times in 1 Corinthians alone, depending on whether you count the word like builders and that sort of thing. Uh, so it's very important to Paul that we look at this, this Christian life as a building project. The first thing we're going to see here, and this morning we're going to look at five different points. And the first one is that the church is God's building. The church is God's building. We saw that spoken directly from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. Let's read it again. He said, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. I don't know that you've ever thought about yourself in that way, that you are a building project, but you are. God is building you. God is working among you. He is, he is fashioning you and forming you and shaping you. And not only you individually, but the church is what he's speaking about here in this context. He is speaking about the church collectively, and it is being built up by God and by us who are able to participate in it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it is God who is doing the growing and the forming and the fastening together of believers in this body that we call the church. Uh, this building project is not new with Paul. You can go back to the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus himself speaks about building. A very well-known verse about this is found in Matthew chapter 16, where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus turns to Peter and says... Simon, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he goes on to say, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. You see, Jesus himself stated that he was building a church. It was a building project. And Peter and the apostles, the disciples, and all those early Christians were serving as a foundation. They were a rock upon which this was being built. But of course, we know that the ultimate cornerstone, the ultimate foundation upon which the church was built was Jesus Christ himself. Matthew 21 tells us that. It quotes from the Old Testament where Jesus is the chief cornerstone. It is the stone that the builders rejected, but yet it has become glorious in the eyes of the saints. And we have built our lives and our eternity upon Jesus Christ. So if you're a believer here this morning, Jesus is your cornerstone. You are a building that is being fastened together and shaped on top of Christ Jesus, that glorious cornerstone. Um, there are some things that we need to understand. If we believe that 
God is building his church. If we believe that this whole thing that we're experiencing right now is a building project of God, then we need to understand that it's his. It's not ours. It's his. Yes, you and I get to participate in it. Yes, we get to be a part of the building of the church. But at the end of the day, it's not our church. It's God's church. And I mean that locally and universally. I mean, College Heights is also God's church, but the church at large is God's church. And so you and I really don't get to call the shots. At the end of the day, it is God himself who dictates how the church should live. That means that science doesn't dictate what the church does and how the church should live. It means that politics do not dictate what the church is and how the church should live. Human reason doesn't even dictate the church. The Bible says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So even when things seem right to a man, it may not be the right way. And at the end of the day, we default to God who is in charge of this building project. Social trends and fads that come and go cannot dictate how we operate as a church. And yes, I know every church wants to be culturally relevant, and so we try to contextualize our ministry to fit into the things that are happening out there. So we're using guitars and basses and pianos instead of the harp or whatever it may have been uh, popular to use in an age gone by. But we cannot twist and repackage and shape and, and distort the word of God in the process. We have to be very careful about that. And there are some churches who are doing that uh, throughout our country, and we, we just cannot allow that. We have to let God be God. We have to submit to his leadership because this is his building project. You cannot come in and undermine the foreman on the job. He is in charge of this building project. All others are failing enterprises. We look at Matthew, and he doesn't just talk about building in Matthew chapter 16. You can go all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, and there Jesus talks about a building project. He says the wise man builds his house upon the rock, but the foolish man builds his house upon the sand. So if you build a church based on social trends, just know that social trends come and go. They're here today, gone tomorrow. They are shifting like sand and the house will fall. If you build your church upon the rock of human reason, just know that the things that were considered wise yesterday are foolish today and your church will fail and will fall. But if you build your church upon the rock Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He is a firm foundation. He is a rock upon which a church can actually thrive and sustain itself throughout eternity. And so understand this morning that the church is God's. He is in charge, which means we have a duty to get into the word of God, to understand what it is he wants for his church, and then to carry it out as faithful servants. The second thing we see this morning, not only is the church God's building, but the church is a communal building, a communal building. 1 Corinthians 3.12 tells us that. Let's read it together. It says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So Paul here is saying, this is God's building. You are God's building, church at Corinth, and then speaking to us today, church in Soldotna, College Heights Baptist Church. You are God's building. And each one of you are bringing in something to this building. Each one of you has something unique and special to offer this building program of God. You can either be precious stones, gold, and silver, or you can be wood, hay, and stubble or straw. Wood, hay, and straw, when it's tested by fire, it's going to burn up. But if you're gold, silver, or other precious stones, it will withstand the test. And so what he's calling on every believer to do is bring something authentic, bring something that is God-given, something that is not uh, part of the fads or the trends of the day, something that is not rooted in those items outside of the Word of God, but is rooted on the firm foundation of Jesus. When you bring that into the church and you use that to serve God, that will withstand the test. And the tests are going to come. For some, 2020 was a test. And for some, 2020 was the year that they left the church and they'll never return. And we're yet to see who that might be. There may be faces that have disappeared from this congregation that we will never, ever, ever, ever see again. I don't know if that's the case or not. Only time will tell. But it was a test. But there are greater tests than that. There are tests around the world where if you show up at the body of Christ, uh, you are persecuted, you are rejected by your family, and you can never be a part of that family again. You're rejected by the society, and you can't get a job. And in some places, if you're found to be worshiping in a way that's not conforming to the political worship allowed in that region, then you die. Okay, that's a real test. 2020, this is a test, but it was nothing like that kind of test. But there will be tests that come and our works will be tried. And ultimately, in the last day, we will see whether our tests withstand uh, the, the fire of judgment or not. But what Paul is getting at here is each one of you brings something in. And he calls on you to bring in your worship. Bring in your commitment to this building project. And this is actually a reference, an allusion to an Old Testament passage. The only other place in the Bible where you will find gold, silver, and precious stones together is in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, where David is gathering all the materials for a building project, the temple. So Paul is saying, you're the temple, you New Testament believers, and you are bringing in the materials to build this temple, just like in the Old Testament, they were gathering the materials, the gold, the silver, and the precious stones to build that temple. And in that context, the First Chronicles chapter 29, each person was invited to participate in the building of the temple. David had a lot that he contributed personally, but then he invited Israel to bring their own offerings to the, the, the location of Zion so that they could build this temple for Yahweh's presence to dwell among the people. And so they did. They brought tons of gold, tons of silver, tons of precious stones, and they assembled this temple. When Solomon became king, he built this glorious temple where God actually came down in fire and burned up the offerings that were brought to symbolize that he was indeed dwelling in that place. And so Paul draws off of that. 
And he says, God is dwelling in you. And if God is dwelling in you, then like those people who, who brought their worship in, who brought their offerings in, who brought their dedication to Zion, you too should bring your dedication and your worship and all that you have to the storehouse of God in the church. You should bring that this morning. And that's a challenge for us. Are we bringing our best to God? And I'm not, this isn't just a stewardship point. Uh, what, you know, we are commanded to, to give generously. But this is more than money. This is about your efforts, your service. Are you being involved in the body of Christ? Are you sitting on the sideline? Or maybe you just, you're like, I, I'm going to avoid this whole church thing altogether. I'm going to just worship God in isolation at home. That's an oxymoron. Okay, God has called you into the body of Christ. He didn't just call you to walk around with Jesus one-on-one for the rest of your lives. He called you into a body. It is a communal building. If it was up to one piece of building material, then the temple would not have been this glorious, you know, structure to which people traveled from all over the world to see. It would have been one little pebble sitting there in Zion and Solomon saying, look, look what I've done. It would have been ridiculous. And some of us treat the church the same way. We think that we don't need to be a part of this community of believers, that we can do this on our own with just us and God. And the Bible condemns that type of thinking. It condemns it. It says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Do not. That is, we are to gather together as a body of believers and to worship. And to do otherwise is sin. So Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 is another passage where Paul brings out this communal aspect of the church. It says in verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also were being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And that's really going to bring us to our next point. The point that the church is not only a communal building, but it is a temple building. And you collectively are being built into a spiritual house of God. Don't go around thinking, it's just about me. Me and Jesus. I am the temple of God. No, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Paul says. Paul says that you are being built together, stone by stone, person by person, into the house of God, into a temple of God. Now, there is an aspect in which you individually are a temple because the Holy Spirit does live inside of you as a believer. And so in that sense, you are a temple. But that's not really what's trying to be communicated by Paul especially in Ephesians, but even in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, Paul said this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. The word you there is tricky for us Americans because we don't have a plural you. Unless you're from the South, and in that case you have the y'all which is you all, you all. Okay? But in the Greek, they have 
plural you, singular you, and this is plural you. He's not saying that you as individuals are the temple of God. He's saying you all are the temple of God. Y'all are the temple of God in Corinth. You stand amidst many pagan temples and shrines, and you all are a different kind of temple, which is going to be our next point. But let's, before we get there, before we talk about that holy temple building, let's talk about what it means to be a part of the temple of God. Just as Ephesians said, you are being built up into a holy house. Each one of you, and in the context of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is talking about the divide of Gentile and Jew. Gentiles and Jews have not been able to come together throughout the history of God's redemptive plan. Once God called Abraham, you basically came to God through being an Israelite. You could become an Israelite by getting circumcised and upholding the Israelite law that was handed down by Moses, worshiping in the temple and that sort of thing. You could even come as a Gentile and there was a court in the temple called the court of the Gentiles. And there you could worship Yahweh. And so you could participate in God worship. It wasn't like if you weren't Jewish, then you were bound to hell. That's not the way it was. But the avenue, the, the road to God was to Jerusalem. That's where you access the presence of God. But now Christ became the temple of God. See, Jesus said the temple's going to be destroyed. He says that in Matthew chapter 24. He cleansed the temple in the beginning of John. And he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it, referring to his body. And he also said in John chapter 1 verse 51 that the angels would ascend and descend on the Son of Man. Just like they did in Bethel, which was kind of the house of God. That's what the word means. And what Jesus is saying through all those and many other passages is you used to worship in Jerusalem because that was the house of God, but now I am the house of God. And those of us that are built into a building on that foundation, we are now a part of that house of God because we are united with Christ. We are connected to him in a a strange union, a mystical union that words can hardly express how it happens. We receive the blessings of Jesus even though we ourselves do not deserve them. And so through this process, we become the temple of God because Jesus is the temple of God. But it's not for us individually as much as it is for us communally and collectively. My favorite passage that really emphasizes this is in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 4, it reads, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. You see, you are not a spiritual house. You are stones in the spiritual house. Each believer is important. Remove one of the stones and the whole thing starts to crumble and you need a replacement stone to fill that person's spot. You, as believers, have a very important role in the body of Christ. You are a part of this temple. You are not the temple, so don't think too highly of yourselves. We are all replaceable. God is the builder. Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, you know, Paul plants, Apollos waters. But who brings the increase? Who does the actual building? Well, God, he says. But don't think for a minute that your participation is irrelevant. 
God has called you and invited you to be a part of this building project. And so you are supposed to come and to bring your worship in. That is your sacrifice. That is your duty. You are to come and you're to bring your skills to the body of Christ for the building up of the body. That is your purpose, to come in and build up the body. That's why Ephesians chapter 4 says that spiritual gifts were given for the building up of the body. And so I want you to ask yourselves and be truthful with yourself this morning. What are you doing to build up the body? There's going to be a a Facebook post later that invites you to maybe share what you're going to do in 2021 to build up the body. And I know not everybody's on that platform. That's fine. It's probably better. Uh, So if you're not, this is just between you and God. What are you going to do in 2021 to build up the body? Because you are a precious stone. Let's continue reading in, in 1 Peter 2. It says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You are equipped by God to be priests. You're like, me, a priest, isn't that your job? No, 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 that's not my job. I'm a pastor, I'm not a priest, okay? But you have been called to be a priest. This is why we're even in a Baptist church right now, by the way. Uh, Martin Luther, if you've heard of him, father of the Protestant Reformation, one of the reasons that he rejected uh, Catholicism is because he believed in the priesthood of every believer. Not just those who wore the robe and, you know, performed the, the duties, the pastoral duties in the church. He believed that every believer had a responsibility. And one of the reasons is probably from this passage right here. He says that you all are a priesthood of believers. It says you are called to be a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is your duty, to be priests, to be not only priests, but a royal priesthood. That means you're kings and priests, And you are called into this temple, just like David and Solomon and those kings of old would have had a very strong connection to the priesthood. They would have overseen the priesthood as the king and the monarch over God's people. And they would have had a very close association with it because Solomon builds the temple. And then later on, it was David's heir Zerubbabel who rebuilds the temple. And now it's Jesus Christ, David's heir, who is building the temple again today piece by piece, person by person, in this glorious temple called the church. And as you are a part of it, you are royalty. You are are sacred as a part of the priesthood of believers. And some of you take that duty and you sit on it. And I don't know, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. I've been guilty of it before as well. Uh, Sometimes I'm still guilty of it on any particular week where you know you're supposed to be doing something, but you just don't get up and do it. We can't do that anymore. 
This is God's temple building, and he's called us to a higher calling. Uh, the church is not only a temple building, but is a holy temple building. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 tells us that. It says here, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. He's saying you are holy and you may not feel holy. You may think I'm the farthest thing from holy. But you got to understand that God has made you holy if you're a believer. You may be still working out the details in your own life of how to actually live according to your, your new nature. But in Christ's redemptive plan, God now sees you as holy because Christ's blood has covered you. Because Christ is holy and he is the foundation and you are now grafted into him. You are built upon that foundation. You share in the holiness of God. It's an amazing thing. I don't know why he would choose to make someone as sinful as me holy, but he has. And he's done the same for you if you're a believer. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, you're holy, let's go on. He says, you're holy, now you need to get your act together. Okay, because the Corinthian church, if anyone didn't look holy, it was them. The Corinthians, they lived in the context of, of polytheism, many gods. They lived in the context of paganism. They lived in the context of immorality. Most of these foreign gods that the Greek people and the Roman people worshipped uh, were attached to some form of immorality, whether they were worshipping the emperor or whether, like in Corinth, they had a shrine and a temple that was dedicated to prostitution. Okay, and so orgies were a normal thing in the context of the Corinthians, and it was rubbing off on the people in the church because they were involved in sexual immorality just like the rest of the community. And Paul is calling them out on this. And if you read through the book of Corinthians, he, he keeps referencing this. So it is in the context of sexual purity. Later on, he's going to call them the temple while directly, specifically talking about sexual immorality. But here he's saying, you guys know what temples are. There are temples all around you. There's a temple of Epaphroditus. There is a temple of, uh, of Jupiter. And there are temples of all these different gods around you. And in those temples, the people are coming and they're bringing their worship and their worship is sinful and immoral. And so you are a different temple. You're not the temple of Epaphroditus. You're not the temple of Zeus. You're not the temple, temple of any of these foreign gods. You're the temple of Yahweh. And as such, you should live according to Yahweh. See, some of the Greek gods, they were gods of reproduction, which is why they were involved in all this immorality. But Yahweh's not the God of reproduction. Yahweh's the God of all creation and the God of salvation. And as such, you are to be distinct and holy because he created things a certain way and we are to align with that. doesn't matter what the rest of our culture tells us to do. It doesn't matter what human reason tells us to do. It doesn't matter what will prosper you the most. What matters is what God has said in his word. And so he tells the Corinthian church to come out from among them, to be separate and to be holy and to live lives that reflect God's character. And that's the calling for College Heights in 2021. 
We don't have temples around that do all that kind of crazy stuff, but we've got people that do all that kind of crazy stuff. The immorality in our culture and in every culture in our world, the immorality runs rampant. And people deny God with every move and every word. But we're not to be that way. And it doesn't end on Sunday. When you go into the workplace on Monday, your lives should reflect the goodness of God and the character of God because you are a holy temple. You are a part of this building of God, God's dwelling place. And just remember that God is dwelling inside of you through His Holy Spirit. How can you partake in the temples and the worship of those outside when God Himself has chosen to put His presence, His special, precious presence within We've got to do better. We've got to somehow make it our duty in life to participate in this building project of God. We are holy. God's holy temple, when you would come to it, one of the first things you would see are these giant pillars that held it up. And these pillars, uh, some of them had names, like one of them was named Boaz. Uh, Their names actually reflected David's lineage because this temple was to be a reminder that God had established a covenant with David and that David would one day produce the Messiah and that through this temple you would have access to God and one day through Jesus we have access to God that all of this is very symbolic but these pillars were not only used for decoration and to communicate ideas but they also were used to hold up the roof they were part of the building And this is common among Greek architecture. If you go over there today, you'll find a lot of ruins that have uh, pillars. And the pillars that are standing are still holding up parts of the ceiling. And so we go back to our initial question. Who are the pillars in the church? Who are the ones holding it up? Or are there even pillars in the church? And yeah, the answer is yes, there are pillars in the church. And who are those pillars? It should be every person who's a part of the body of Christ. Not just uh, that St. Peggy, who was a part of uh, the church I was pastoring in 10, 10 or so years ago, who was faithful and giving and was a part of every little thing, even though she could barely get down the hall. Yeah, she was a pillar by one standard, but I'm telling you this morning, you are a pillar according to the word of God. You are a part, a stone that is keeping this building intact and building it up, and it is your duty to build it. Which brings us to our final point. The church is a community of pillars in the building of God. You're not just stones. You're all pillars. You're conquerors. You're more than conquerors. And the book of Revelation chapter 3 tells us that Jesus is taking conquerors and making pillars out of them because conquerors are builders. And this morning, you are a part of that. You are a building block. And not only there to just sit and let God build upon you, but to also build up the body. Over and over, we see that in the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read real quick some of these passages. Um, They should pop up on the screen behind me. 1 Corinthians 8.1, Paul says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so he goes on to encourage people to love and to build through that love. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he tells us all things are lawful, but not all things build up. And so he encourages people to put aside their rights and grab hold of their responsibilities. 
Okay, rights are one thing, but responsibilities are a whole nother because responsibilities in the church are your duties for building up the body. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And he goes on to verse 12 to say, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. 1 Corinthians 14.26 says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Christ wants you to build up the church. You have a duty to build up the church. You have a duty to be a pillar in the temple of God, the temple of this community that supersedes these walls and this roof. It may collapse, it may fall one day, um, but the church, Jesus tells us that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. It will continue to stand because of pillars like you. But the challenge is, what are you going to do in 2021 to build up this church? We have spent too long investing too much in too little. And it's time for us to take 2021 and pour everything into it for building up the body because Jesus died for his church. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that. That husbands are to love their wives and to give themselves for it like Christ did for the church. Jesus died for the church. In closing, there are things Jesus did not die for. And yet we invest way more in it than we do the church. Jesus did not die for your recreation. I like recreation. I have hobbies. I have things I like to do. But Jesus didn't die for those. Jesus didn't die for basketball. Jesus didn't die for fishing. Jesus didn't die for hockey. Jesus didn't die for go fish or whatever it is that you like. Jesus didn't die for that. It's okay to let that be a part of your life. But let's not invest everything there because that's fleeting. That's perishing. That will be gone tomorrow. But the church remains forever. Jesus did not die for your vacation. Some of us may spend the whole year planning and saving and planning and saving and forsaking duties in the church, responsibilities to build each other up, all so that we can go somewhere and experience something, which is great. I love to travel. But if we put everything there, just know this world is passing away. and There will be a new heaven and a new earth where pillars spread throughout the land because God is omnipresent and God is the temple in that new land. Jesus did not die, believe it or not, for your happiness. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus died for you to be happy. There is a byproduct of Christianity which you find joy unspeakable, but that's not the purpose for which Jesus died. He died to forgive you of your sins and to give you a fresh start and as a byproduct, there is happiness to be found, yes. But he did not die for that and that alone. And especially for your earthly happiness. Because, let's face it, there is no such thing. Jesus did not die for your business. He did not die for the money that you could make. He did not die for your stock portfolio. He did not die for your 401k. He did not die so that you could have wads and wads of cash. 
And if there is a church out there preaching otherwise, they're a false prophet. Jesus did not come and give up his life living in poverty with no place to lay his head so that you could become healthy and wealthy and rich. That's not why Jesus died. So why are we putting all of our time investing into money? Jesus did not come and die for your security, for your earthly security. Yeah, we have a fortress in God. Yes, we have an eternal dwelling that cannot be taken from us in the heavens. But that is different than the security that most of us, most of us invest in locks and bolts and alarms. And we invest in uh, healthcare plans and that sort of thing because we want to be secure. And it's the reason we want to stack up money so that we can be secure. But Jesus did not come to bring security. In fact, there are millions throughout the ages, who have died, they have lost everything because they were investing in the church. And to those, Jesus has a special reward. Read through Revelation, there is a special crown placed upon the martyrs. Jesus did not come and die for the United States of America. I love this country. I love the freedoms we have. I love that I can stand up here and say that, and no one's waiting outside to put me in handcuffs right now. That's great. But if I think for a second that Christianity fails when America fails, I have really mixed up my priorities. Jesus did not come for this country or any other country. He came and died for the church. And God help you if you think he died for your political party. He did not. He did not die for the party or the platforms. He's got his own platform. And very few Earthly political platforms have aligned to it perfectly. I would go to say none half. Jesus did not die for that. Jesus did not die even for the family. You say, what? Now, Jesus said he came not to bring peace but a sword and it was going to divide families. Father was going to turn against son and mother against daughter and brother against sister. They were going to fight. Many have been removed from the family. Jesus' own family came to see him one day, his mother uh, and brothers. And people said, Jesus, hey, your mother and brother outside. And he said, who is my mother and brother? But the ones who believe in me. He said the family of God is what he came for, to die for. And some of your families are going to be ripped asunder because of your faith in God, because you have become part of the family of God to the church. But that's what Jesus came and died for. Now, the best thing that can happen is when your whole family is a part of that family, and then you have a blessed family. But for some of you, you're not going to get that. Some of you have experienced that all too much, where your own loved ones do not believe in the Christ that you believe in. And Jesus did not die to bring you together at that, in that sense. That's when he has given you a new family, the family of God. And that's, the disciples came to Jesus, and they said, We've forsaken everything. We've given up our families. We've given up all this to follow you. What do we have in return? And Jesus turned to them and said, all that you've given up will be restored to you tenfold, both in this life and the life to come. And he is referencing the church. He is referencing that you have a family. You have a fold. You have a place to belong in this body. And that's why he came. That's why he died. So quit investing in places where there's no reward. Quit investing in places where you do not reap an eternal benefit. Let this be the year that you are building up the body of Christ. Piece by piece, stone by stone. That may be teaching. 
That may be serving outside in the snow, getting the snow out of the way so people can walk in the building. That may be changing light bulbs. Uh, that may be doing accounting stuff. That may be doing logistics with Sunday school. That may be going on mission trips. Uh, it's probably involving more than one thing. Honestly, there's a lot that goes on here. Teaching is a wonderful thing, and I love it when people come and they teach. But I want to tell you, teaching is not as glorious as it seems. Uh, teaching is feeding. And feeding is not always easy. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Uh, we've got a baby in the back. I think I just heard him moan and groan. And uh, you can feed him. Sometimes he'll take it. Sometimes he won't. Sometimes you think he took it. It's like a lesson well taught, well received. And then a few hours later, he's spewing it out of his mouth. Okay? And the church can be like that. Some of you may give your heart and soul to teaching. And a few minutes later, it's, it's gone. Okay? But if that's your duty, that's your calling, or whatever your duty and calling is, fulfill it this year. No longer can we sit aside and not build up the church because it is the holy temple of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, as we make up the body of Christ and your holy temple, I pray that we would look different than the world around us. I pray that you would give us a mission and, Lord, a calling and that we would see it through to the end. I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to watch over the people of College Heights and that you would equip them for all the service that you have enabled them to do. I pray, Father, that you would bring in outsiders into this body, that they may hear the word of God proclaimed and that they would be saved. And if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, who does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today is the day of salvation for them, that they would realize that they are not a part of this building program and that only through submitting to your son, Jesus Christ, and standing upon the foundation which no man can lay besides him can they experience communion with our heavenly Father who dwells among us in the very temple of God through his Holy Spirit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's stand together as we have a time of invitation and reflection and praise.
and a welcome to College Heights. If you are joining us today, whether that's in person or online, we are so glad that you are here. I have a few announcements to share. This week, we have returned to having children's Sunday school during the second hour, 10.30 a.m. service. Um, we're really excited to have that back happening. I know all of the kiddos are excited to be back together. So if you need more information about that or would like to serve in our kids' ministry, you can talk to Analia Karen, and she will answer any questions that you may have. This week, the Mars are kicking off a college-age small group. If you are in that age group and you're looking for a group of people to connect with and hang out and grow with, they are going to be kicking off this week. Other details are to come, so talk to Daniel or Kayla if you would like to participate in that. Uh, men, mark your calendars for June 7th through 11th for the annual Men's Resurrection Path Trail Hike. There is all kinds of info about that on the Connect Hall or on the event on our church page, Facebook page, or you can talk to Daniel Marr for more specifics as well. But go ahead and mark your calendars if you are interested in doing that. Also, last but certainly not least, our very own Contessa Wolverton is the featured artist of the month for January at Pilate Brothers Coffee. So make sure to pop in and check out her art exhibition on display because we're excited and proud of her. So there's a little bit about what we have going on. You can find all this information and more on our website, collegeheightsbc.net, or on our Facebook page. Have a great week. There you go. One of the ways to build up the church this week is to go have a Kaladi coffee and snap a picture of yourself by one of Contessa's pictures. Uh, let her know that you're supporting her. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for being here uh, this morning. We're glad to have you in our worship service. Dave Klein, would you dismiss us, please?